and welcome everyone to episode 3 of Dip This Discussion. Not a cooking podcast, but a slow spin sidey track special where I, Paul, your casual fixed nerd, discuss with David, your actual semi pro track racer from Down Under. Hi, David. Hey, how we going? We're going great. We're going without coffee right now, which is really difficult on an early morning, but we're doing great. <laughs> what about you? No, I'm, I'm going well. I've had two, well, it's currently 5 p.m. in the afternoon, and I've had two coffees today, so I'm feeling great. Just to rub it in. The special Dip Dish discussion episode is dedicated to explaining the recent UCI rule changes and some exciting new equipment and bikes leading into the 2024 Paris Olympic. And I hope I'll be there because that'd be awesome. Paris is not that far. Exactly. You're right around the corner. Exactly. Do you, have you heard, just before we get into the show, have you heard about the project they had for... Uh, athletism especially like a like a, a hundred meter runway uh a what like a <clears throat> a hundred you know like the the people that run like 100 meters yeah or athletic for athletism is is it the right way to say it i think a- athletism a- athleticism athleticism that's it okay uh and the project was to actually have it on the seine um river so in the middle of the water, they would just put like some kind of a large pad and people would run on it. <laughs> and they did, yeah, they did try, but the thing was moving too much. So this scrapped the project. I mean, that's such a, I'm sorry, but that's such a silly idea. It's a, it's a very French idea. Yeah, it, it sounds awesome. Like that'd be so cool. But yeah, no, someone's going to drown or someone's going to roll an ankle. <laughs> Even yeah. for, like, camera work and everything, it's yeah. terrible. I mean, so at the Tassie Carnivals I was at, they had running races on at the same time at some of the races. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're doing, like, mile runs and 100-meter sprints on the infield, and they mm-hmm. had to run the races separately because you can only just fit a 100-meter running track in some of these larger tracks. You couldn't do it at a 250, but okay. They had to use the track to slow down or run into the fence. So it was um, pretty funny to watch. (laughs) Yeah, you were at a bunch of events. Yeah. During this new year, meeting some pros and stuff. How was it? Well, that was awesome. Like I got to meet um, one guy. His name's Roy Efting. He's a Dutch rider. I think he like silver at World Champs last year. I got to meet him and he is like such a nice dude. Like incredibly nice we were having trouble with packing stuff for um because essentially we had our accommodation paid for so we were at the mercy of the organizers to transport our bikes so they hired Mm -hmm. these two big trucks and it wasn't enough trucks it was ridiculous like they had these trucks were probably full of like three hundred thousand dollars worth of bikes each (laughs) and they just stacked them on top of each other and i'm like oh fuck so um he helped us carry these bike boxes up to the big bus because he saw us struggling with like four bike boxes between two people and he helped us. I'm like, oh, that's like, he's arguably the most, has the most achievements out of anybody here. And he's so helpful. I'm like, this guy's great. Oh, that's pretty, that's a wholesome story. Yeah, it was awesome. That was, I really enjoyed that because he was staying at the same accommodation as us. So it was really interesting, like bumping into just like Austrian guys and Czech guys. And yeah, it was cool. So yeah, a lot of cool bikes over there. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of, um, a lot of flash kit turning up. 
in Tassie. A lot of national teams there, so yeah, they had all the um all the nice aero bits on too. It's interesting how track cycling. We're going to talk about it a bit later, but um, it's interesting how track cycling, and especially at this level, you need like the bike from the big industry, Coca, Look, um, others, others, but you also need the very very small bits from very very oh, small yeah. companies. Yep. Like watch shop, velo bike, like all of these. Yeah. Oh man, like honestly, like the amount of yeah, talk about it later with the reach stuff, but the amount of long boys. Cause the grade mm. I was racing in was like a mix of enduro road guys and the rest of us were sprinters. Like all of us sprinters all had long boys on, like every single one of us did. And some of the photos Velo Bike put up, it's just like eight dudes in a Kira, and they've all got pretty much the same like Velo Bike handlebars with the Velo Bike stem. It is they, that good, huh? Oh yeah, I mean I've got mine, and it's awesome. Like, I mean, three hundred bucks for an alloy stem isn't the cheapest, but no one else does it, and they do a yeah. bloody good job of it too. So, yeah how how long is yours? One sixty. 160 and i'm probably going to go longer because my frame's bigger so i can go more into the reach should we start talking about um the new nice segue into that so um obviously every year the uci changes rules usually to say oh it's rider safety or they feel like recyclists are getting too fast and they need to slow us up a bit um but this one was interesting so they've actually changed the reach rules um, and a lot of riders use reach to benefit them in um, positioning and then aerodynamics as well. Um, so the old reach rule was that the the furthest distance at the end of your handlebars, so the hoods on a road bike or the end of the handlebars on a track bike, could only be five centimeters in front of the front axle. They have special jigs to measure this um and mm-hmm. special like laser guidance systems so you can get an accurate picture of it so for road and track endurance events you were only allowed five centimeters however for track sprinting so kieran team sprint um sprint rounds and the kilo you can have up to 10 centimeters in front of the front hub um so what they've done now is they have just combined all the rules and made it you can be 10 centimeters anywhere so you can be 10 centimeters ahead on a road bike on a track endurance bike on a sprint bike doesn't matter so you can have an almost identical reach across all your bikes now that's yeah it's way easier for everyone isn't it oh yeah because i know guys who race both the endurance and sprint events and at, at state titles and stuff they measure your bike before every event you have to go up, get your number checked off, put your bike into the jig, make sure everything matches up. And there's guys like <laughs> just like swapping, swapping over stems every every event. And this has just made it so much easier for a lot of those guys now. The the end of your handlebars is at a maximum of ten centimeters in front of your front axle, right? Yeah, front axle. Yes, ten centimeters. Okay. So that's the like that's the very like top part of the let's say curvature of your drop bar so pretty much whatever that furthest point is so yeah like if you think about it with a sprint bar yeah it's when the drop starts raking forward 
mm-hmm. whatever that furthest point is at the drop sticks out, there's like a vertical line straight down and you can be up against that. I can't like, it's really hard for me to imagine what 10 centimeters uh, it's feels impossible. like. Yeah. It's, um, it's really odd looking at it. So my current setup, I kind of stuffed up a bit. I bought this 160 mil stem when I had a really small frame because tech, mm-hmm. essentially the bigger frame you go, the more you can have, the longer stem you can have because the, the frame's bigger, the wheels are further apart. Um, oh. So on the small frame, you can't run as much reach. So I had a Dolan, which was my road bike size, but for a track bike, you go way bigger. If you're a track sprinter, I ride a 54, 55 on the road and I ride a 58 track bike, 58 centimeter sure. for a large. Um, so my current stem, I can go a centimeter or two longer if I wish to. Um, so that's why people go massive frames nowadays. Like nobody buys smalls unless you're an incredibly small person. Everybody buys larges. Yeah, Velobike did a really good study on it. They asked a bunch of sprinters from national team. They didn't say which na- nation they were from, but they just got their height and their bike set up. There's some female sprinters who are 170 centimeters tall. Mm-hmm. So I guess a little bit shorter than me and I'm not that tall. And they're riding 59s to 60s. Like they're Ooh. riding their frames. It's interesting because... In the streets, if someone is between two sizes, I would recommend going one size lower um, because it's just more nimble. But that's definitely yeah. not what you need on a track. Exactly, yeah. And, like, what you're really aiming for is just, like, to stretch yourself out. Like, you just want to get yeah. that flat back and that good neck position um, because it's such an important thing. Because if you're doing over 350 meters at over 60K an hour, there's a lot of wind resistance. So if you combine that with like a set of narrow bars and then if you bend your forearms, like we used to think that the lower you could get the front end, the better. But mm. no, because if you can't bend your forearms, that's a lot of <clears throat> frontal area that you're making up just by having your arms out straight. So mm. if you bend them, you pretty much cut out your entire forearm if you can get it flat enough. Yeah, about that stretching thing though. So you got a bigger bike. Your yep. actual bike is bigger than the the old one. Yes. And you also you told me you were getting a longer stem. Yeah, so I'm thinking I'm when I head back down to Brizzy, there's a gear shop store down there which does all your track racing stuff. They're like the value bike supplier in Australia. So um when I went there last time with my doll and he set up a laser guide and he said this is the longest stem you can run. Mm-hmm. Um and I had it pretty much horizontal so it was giving me the full 160 mil okay but on my Avanti, so my new frame i have it pointing upwards slightly as a 12 degree stem so okay. it's not at the full 160 um because i have like a five a short torso i'm not i'm not purpose built for a track sprinter usually you want a nice <laughs> long torso. um so i struggle to get really low at the front end so i have my stem pointing up which means my handlebar okay. reach isn't um, – not reach, sorry, drop isn't as severe, so I can kind of get more tucked in. So it becomes very personal to a certain degree, um, yeah. but I reckon I could run a longer stem. Like it takes a bit of time to get used to. You require a lot more upper body conditioning, like way more upper body conditioning and a stronger core. But if you're able to hold that position for long periods, it makes a dramatic difference. 
Yeah, because my question is, at what point stretch is too much stretch, you know? Yeah. At what point you just too, like, I'm not going to say, like, over the, the steerer column, but, you know, like, you're just too far over there. I'm making I'm making the Superman position with my arm, even if we're in a podcast and nobody can see it. But you know you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, so there definitely is a limit to it. Like I've seen it happen at states. Um, some guy was running a 200 millimeter long boy on his. He had a look Madison. I think it's a 795. Those like crit bikes. Um, and he's running that on the track while he is waiting for his new track bike to arrive. And he had a massive stem, so the longest that Valo bike make. And he was starting a flying 200 run, and he ended up running into the fence because I don't know how a essentially a street racing Madison bike, what the look is, the um, Criterion bike for fixed gear stuff, I don't know how that reacts with such a long stem mm-hmm. because yeah. obviously the longer you go – the slower the handling is, but also the more predictable. But you kind of balance that out by adding in a very narrow set of bars too. So, yeah, if you have wide bars with a long stem, it's going to handle like a truck. But if you have narrow bars and a long stem, it is not as bad. It's not like mine. I have 30 centimeter bars, which is the narrowest most companies will make you. Um, with a 160 stem and the handling is honestly no trouble like I haven't had any issues with it I've never been in any near misses and if I have I've been able to get out of it so it just takes time to get used to really like it is a big change going super long but I found it super super worthwhile pretty much yeah was the force you put on these things I can't imagine like there must be so much R&D behind that stem for it, uh, it to not break on everyone. And another issue that I found is with my bike, I was having issues with plastic spaces. Um, so on top of the stem, um, mm-hmm. understanding start pressures, they were actually cracking the plastic oh, spaces. And it was mo- the stem was like shuffling up the steerer tube. Um, so I've got a metal um, steerer, not steerer, sorry, a metal um, spacer in there now and it's fine. But yeah, if you think a like a 160 plus mil stem with a set of narrow bars, the amount of torque that is being focused is just exacerbated. Yeah. You've got a longer and longer lever, so you get more and more flex. Like the bars I have are stupid stiff um, and the long boys are stupid stiff as well. You actually feel it in the steerer. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I'm not the most explosive rider out the gates either. I'm not the most fit either, but I just – I understand why components fail because those guys are putting out so many watts and so much torque on those components that it's – um it, it it can – things can go bang sometimes and it's not super pretty either. Yeah. Like, yeah, Valley Bike has definitely done their research into what is needed. Like they've won gold medals at the Olympics with some of their kit and world champs bands, so they know what they're doing. Yeah. We we are seeing like a lot of their stem, not a lot of their bikes though, but no, definitely yeah. some stems. Yes. Um and so recently after like the Tassie Carnivals I was at, I got to speak to a couple of riders there, pro riders. And one in particular, Ryan Schilt, he what, like raced in Australia when he was a junior, but then he went to the Netherlands um, and he rides mm-hmm. for the Netherlands squad now. And um, 
talking to him on the bus about it and he's actually really excited. So he's got a set of the bunch bars that Velo Bike make, the little horns on the side that are super popular yep. at the moment. And he's going to put on a long boy as soon as the rules change over, which they have. So at Tassie, nobody was checking what you were riding, but all the pro guys were just running their 2022 setups. But as soon as you get to 2023, there's a bunch of races in New Zealand um, which are mm-hmm. worth UCI points. And you see all the endurance guys are running long boys now. Like the, there was whole packs of endurance guys running long boy stems with bunch bars, like 12 guys all running an identical cockpit. Man, I am on the Velo Bike website website right now, and the bunch bars, they are good-looking bars. Mm. And there's a lot of, um, in, as far as endurance bars go, they're probably the, the easily the most popular, like yeah, undoubtedly the most popular because they've just been around the longest. Like other companies are getting into it. I think there's that... Um, Oh, I'm going to butcher this. It, I think it's called Toot. It's a weird name. I think it's an Italian company and they make mm-hmm. a set of endurance bars, but they are more expensive and uh, they're just not a, they're a very small Italian manufacturer. So they don't mm-hmm. make a lot of stuff and the name's not really out there. Yeah. Um, and actually I was on Instagram earlier today and I found this tiny composite manufacturing company who were they? And they these are already 720 euros. Yeah. For a set of handlebars. You're like, okay, yeah, sure. Yes. And, and the amount of guys who are running like that setup with a long boy, which is about 300 Australian. I'm not sure what that is. In, That's 180 what, euros. 180 euro. Yeah. So there's already guys who are spending close to getting up to a thousand euros just on their cockpit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's super crazy. gone of the days when you could just rock up to an endurance track race with a set of road bars and off you go. It's, um, it's changed a lot. Here it is. I'll get this put in the show notes. There's Great. a composite company outside uh, in France. Is it Dijon? Is that it? Yep. Yep. And they're, so a French composite manufacturer and they're making these enduro bars. They announced them just over a week and a bit ago, but they look like, batarangs like what batman throws at mean people <laughs> they look they kind of look like um the bunch bars but they've got all this ergonomic like grip for your fingers and all these little um sharp edges and stuff but um they look the bits so they look so good but i can't actually find any prices for them yet i think they're still probably in the manufacturing stage all right Yes, I guess we should jump into the, the next rule that UCI changed. So this one, I think it will be super short because um, it doesn't affect track riders. It affects road riders, um, but it's due to they're putting a restriction on how narrow your bars can be. So only applies to road bars and um, road bikes. So mm-hmm. us track riders are kind of left alone because if they introduce this new rule, which states that your bars must be 30 centimeters at 35 centimeters at the drops minimum. A lot of us track sprinters would be screwed. We'd be trying to sell off our useless bars, having to buy yeah. 35 centimeter ones. But um, so essentially at the drops, they have to be 35 centimeters, but your hoods can be whatever the hell you want. So you could be s- still running stupidly narrow hoods. As long as they flare out like gravel bars and they meet that 35, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's gonna that's gonna create interesting designs 
Mm. I'm excited for it. Like I saw um, while at Tassie, there was this um, enduro guy there. He was running a Velo T4 disc wheel, full proper setup. I looked at his mm. handlebars and he's running these like ancient Nido Tora bars because they flare and they've kind of got a nice hand position on top. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's super interesting. Like, you've got a mix of like everything new and flash and aero with these ancient Nido bars that are probably older than him that his dad had sitting around. Oh, my God. Yeah. By the way, I have a question since you saw some pro racers. Mm -hmm. The top cap, is everyone using something like pretty normal or is it really an, a personal personal item then people just switch over for like funny stuff or like little uh, messages? I didn't, I, I didn't really get to perv on too many pros bikes, but the funny thing is a lot of guys have like really advanced setups which don't even have top caps anymore oh right yeah so it has changed a bit um but i think most of those pro guys they're probably not the most well off when it comes mm -hmm. to certain areas so they're probably just trying to borrow bits and stuff but yeah a lot of guys <laughs> nothing like yeah, like, like the Argon front ends and Roy Efting, one of the Dutch guys was running a Korean brand called Weowis. I think it's the sponsor of his um road team okay. that he's part of. And they are, look very similar to the Argon in the front end. They're like a bayonet setup, so they're not – there's no traditional steerer there. Okay. But, yeah, I didn't really get to look at too many top caps, unfortunately. I've got a little fancy Runwell one with a titanium bolt. That's the blingest part of my setup. <laughs> i like it well i guess we can go on to our next subject for today and koga did announce a, an update you would say yeah it's update not quite a full bike on the koga kensei which is already a really 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 good bike that has won many 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 title because it's the one that the dutch team uses and yeah they just announce some sort of a yeah update to it and they're saying it can it could go 1.5 meter faster per round which in track cycling is a lot yeah that's that's um if you think about it this way if harry lavresen had this set up at the track cycling um league that just ran he would have beat matthew richardson because matthew richardson the australian only beat him by a tire width in one of the Kirins, mm -hmm. which meant that Richardson had one more point and won the track cycling league. So if Lavresen had this set up instead, if everything else stayed the same, hypothetically, he would have won the track cycling league. Shit. Yeah. And that's like this new bike. Cause yeah, the Kinsai is super, um, it's super, uh, obviously accomplished multiple gold medals. Um, and yeah, they had that idea. It's like, well, what the hell do you change on a bike that's so successful? Yeah. What can you do? But I know UCI relaxed the three-to-one ratio rule once again, so you can have even fatter tubing. So um, so we first say what this update actually is. So what they've done is they've changed the one-piece sprint bars, so the handlebars, cockpit area, and the fork. The rest of the bike is the same. From what we can tell, there is no announced difference. Yeah, the frame is the same. The frame is the same. Awesome. So I really like that because 
it is very popular for companies to reinvent themselves every couple of years saying like, no, we were all wrong. This is what you want to do now. But look at Specialized. When it comes to road bikes, they were selling the Venge like six years ago and they were making it so shitty to work on. But they're like, it's so aero, but you can't stop. It's heavy. You can't work on them. I've ridden one and the brakes are pathetic. You might as well not have brakes on it. Just crash into a tree. It's probably safer. (laughs) Um, And then they scrapped all that and they said, no, the tarmac is an aero bike. So I really like that Koga has stuck with their frame. It's like a proof of concept. They really like it. They've made, like, you should have a look at the images. I no doubt it will be in the show notes. But the fork is super interesting. I like how it, like, hugs the hub of the front wheel. Like, it has those little blades in the center. I think that's super neat. And if you can get a top view of the cockpit, those bars are fat. Like, they are the fattest tubing I've ever seen on a handlebar setup. You could have dinner on them. You, it is For a dinner plate, essentially. Like, yeah, you could yeah have a cup of water and some snacks sitting on there because it is so stupidly fat. And it's it's great that it's handlebar fork because every actual Koga could basically be updated with that new setup. Yeah, oh, I I know Koga has a habit of doing this. So before the Kinsai, I think it was the Chimera they used to make. Yeah. And they kept that for years. They did they all they ever did, I think, is they changed the seat post to a standard aero seat post away from the um round classic seat post. Um and maybe tweak the front end a bit, but that bike stayed fairly similar for over like ten or oh, maybe not that long, five to ten years. They didn't do much to it. Which again I really like because it's saying that we back our product and we think it's good rather yeah. than it feels like a money grab when companies always change the entire thing every year or every couple of years to try and keep it fresh. But I like that they actually back what they've done. They said, hey, we have yeah. a successful backing. Now um, let's try and make it a little bit faster. Right. So the Dutch team asked Koga whether Koga could make this like even faster because mm. we know that the Dutch team is not fast enough no, God, no, please don't get faster. <laughs> the Australians are so, doing pretty well at the moment. Don't do it to us. Exactly. And so Koga said, we brainstormed about this together with the writers and uh, our partner, ActiveFlow. And we came up we came up with two topics, was which we wanted to continue to see if we could find improvements here and there. So... Koga has concentrated on the front fork at the cockpit. And after an extensive analysis, it turned out that there were still some minor points of improvement. So you were talking about the the fork hugging the hub of the wheel. So they kind of added like a wing profile on that axle. And they're saying that the fork is 7% more aerodynamic. Just was that. Just the, it was that little wing profile. In addition, the handlebar has been changed. So do you see how real, uh, Relax that we just talked about um, has, you know, was the three to one ratio, etc. So it has permitted for those fat ass bars. Yeah, and fat ass so bars. It's a good way to say it. <laughs> they're more aero, they're stiffer. And compared to the current underbar, 
they are said to be 23% faster. And I could, you can vis- visibly see that. You know what it looks like? I'm looking at one of the photos. If you hide the drops with your thumbs, it looks like a whale tail. Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> I'm doing it right now. I look like a I'm closing one eye and like Somebody having your thumb right now. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, so if you're too lazy to go to the website and have a look, um, it looks like a whale tail with some two um, drops attached to the bottom of it. That's a good way yeah. to say it. Tell me in 2024, they're going like full bioengineering and they're adding like little grooves in it, like on the actual whale tail. Well, actually, remember we did the episode on yeah. fully Organic Hour and those little ridges on the seat post and seat tube. That was from Wales as well. <laughs> My God, that would be so good. Wales are the secret to going fast. <laughs> we have figured it out, guys. We've cracked the big, code. Big Chunga is going really fast. <laughs> My God. So how can this say it could be like 1.5 meter faster uh, or ahead per lap? Well, they accounted, of course... So the rider accounts for the greater part of the air resistance. The bike is not that much, but the total speed gain is still 1.2% was those new updated bits. So it's around 15 watts at 70 kilometers per hour. So they're saying if you let a sprinter ride a virtual lap against himself with the Kinsei from Tokyo and the bike we're going to use in Paris later this year, you would get 1.5 meter ahead per lap with that later bike. And it's just, I can't believe they're still improving on stuff. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous that even after all these years, there is always something to improve. And I really like how they've actually given us because they could have really just stopped this article at it's 15 watts faster at 70 Ks now, but what is 15 watts? Yeah. Nobody can conceptualize 15 watts, but saying 1.5 meters like that, track most track races are decided by less than that. So it could be a real game changer depending what the other team, nations do as well. I don't know if Argon's going to come out with anything fresh for the 2024 Olympics. Um, but I really hope so because it means we can do more episodes. So Argon, <laughs> make something. Um, Please. But I think going on a bit of a tangent here, so Alex Dowsett, British time trialist who's now retired, he's a big aerodynamicist. Like he just recently announced a collab with No Pins, who is a skin suit manufacturer who make bloody fast skin suits. Like world tour teams will ditch their suppliers and use no pin skin suits in TTs, just not branded as no pin skin suits because mm-hmm. legally they can't do that. They can't wear another brand who they're not associated with. So they okay. make a lot of nice kit. Um, Dowsett approached no pins and said, Hey, can you do testing for me for like sprint lead outs and stuff? And he came up with okay. a figure about wearing a standard bib and Nick or a skin suit, like a custom fitted one. And it, it was around 1.5 meters as well. And he told all his sprinters that he's leading out, hey, you'll gain 1.5 meters. And they all started wearing the custom skin suits because all those guys have lost races by weight less. Yeah. So in the world of sprinting, 1.5 meters is a shitload. That, that is a lot on your competitors. 
two more things that I wanted to say about the Koga. First, I was on Bike Rumor, Bike Radar the other the other day, and I don't know how, what contest, tournament, competition was it, but so some road riders they were riding like a Koga prototype, and it yeah. had that super tall head tube that you find on Koga's track bikes. Yeah, and that's how much like we know about Aero right now. It's having a tall bike, like, yeah, a physically tall bike, as long as it's the right way, it's aerodynamically, it's not a problem. You don't need to get super low, like we believed in the 90s. Yeah. With exactly. like a 650 uh, front or even 24 inch. That was, well, that was a good try at the time, but now we know. The size of the bike doesn't matter, and people tend to believe now that actually the bigger the better. Yeah, I mean, I've gone down that route. You tell, if you told me three years ago that I'd be riding a 58 centimeter frame, I would have said, yeah, probably not. I don't know what you're talking about, 55 all the way, but yeah, I could even ride bigger <laughs> if I wanted to. Like, yeah. Track manufacturers and they're like Argon and stuff. The way they make their frames is the seat tube is pretty much identical through every size range from a yeah. medium to an extra large. The seat tube is exactly the same. The reach just gets more and more. So they're not super interested in making your seat tube super high because you can adjust that with a seat post. But if you could make it longer and taller yeah. at the front end, it doesn't really matter. And I also... So while I was looking into some Koga Kensei pictures, I was I was fanboying for a good hour on Google Images, and knowing that I will never be able to afford one. <laughs> oh God, well, I'm I'm hoping out that you know how it's usually the cycle, like especially in Australia with the BT brand. Yeah, the cycle of them is released for the Olympics, given to Australian riders to use new frame comes out, they ditch the old ones, people start buying the old ones and they start releasing yeah. con um, consumer ones and you just wait until they get cheap enough and old enough that you can finally afford one. <laughs> That's the secret. Yeah, exactly. And that advantage I got, if that was painted all black with white stickers, that would be a national team bike, but it's just the retail version, so it's not doesn't have the fancy paint job. Yeah. But it is seven years old now, so. Yeah, I was still looking at the at the pictures that they released for when the actual bike released. And they're using like a normal, it's probably like an Octolink Durace crankset. Yeah. They, with they... like the old Shimano Olympic chain ring. Yeah. How old is that freaking that, ring? Is that like 20 years old at this stage? Probably 30. 30? You reckon 30? Yeah, I reckon it was like I reckon it's a '90s chain ring. Yeah, we are. It is 23 now. Yeah, it's definitely older than 20 years. No, I, that's what I love about the Kogas is that yeah, they run like these. Like, let's face it, it's NJS components yeah. <laughs> on a <laughs> totally. on a carbon machine. But those that crank set, I have the same crank set, and I race on it. It's an awesome crank set. It's. it's It's by far yeah. still the favorite for a lot of guys. I actually saw in Tassie, one of the Malaysian races, one of the faster ones, he had the Durace crank set, but he had them custom built so that 
there was carbon wedges put in between the crank arms to fill in the voids. So it was like an oh, aero crank wow. set. It looked the bits. And I'm like, is that legal? Because it's a fairing. And he said there's something because it's no longer a fairing. It's part of the crank. It's bonded to the crank set. It's no longer a fairing. So it is legal. I thought that was so cool because they are, Man. in my opinion, still the number one crank choice for a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I was talking with someone that is way more into performance than I am. And he was telling me the difference between Sugino 75s and Dura Ace. Mm-hmm. And he was telling me that Suginos, they were sometimes too stiff. And it was Ooh. just not good for him. But Dura Ace had like the right amount of balance. So sometimes when I, like, for example, last time I went to the World Championship, I looked at what everybody was using in terms of cranks. And yeah, a lot of Jura Ace, a lot of uh, Luke Zen, of course. But yeah. a few Suginos as well, especially the, um, the Super version. Is that Super oh, 75 version? Super 75, yeah. They are so expensive, though. Like They are, like, they're, I think they're a thousand bucks. Yeah, they are. They're, like... The- Sagino must be caking money off that because I swear to God, they just get like a standard 75, chrome yeah. the fuck out of it, and they're like, put Super on that bitch and we'll sell it for like double the price. It's, I, yeah. it's got that special coating, but I don't, I don't think it's a different crank underneath. I think it's the same crank. Mm. Yeah, no, it's the same crank, but different coating. It's like they're, yeah. uh, how do they call it? The coating uh, that they make cubic, with some chains? Um, yeah, as cubic. S-cubic. Yeah, no, they the Super Sagino Zens with the S Cubic are gorgeous. Like that mirror finish, they look sick. Yeah. But I, I, I'm not spending a thousand bucks on a. No. Let's face it. How old is the Sagino seventy five? How old is that design? It's pretty old. Like yeah, that's is seven. Was it released in like nineteen seventy five? Is that why it's called a Sagino seventy <laughs> five? I don't know, but that would be wild. That would be well. It's still a good design, though. And it's the is. same thing with these Dura Ace crank. Is I can't believe on 2022-2023 machines, they're still using stuff like this. Because it's just the best out there. For some riders. Not every riders, but for some. Yeah, for some, it's still super effective. And I guess it's familiar. All people have a lot of trust in them. So, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I still love that there's still some old cranks kicking around. It's like... I don't see a big change happening either because nobody's really making track-specific cranks. Like, yes, you have your oh rotors. You can get those in a track-specific setup. You got Mish, but Mish honestly has become kind of like a a more affordable product. Yeah. I find, like, they're super affordable and they're super solid. But, yeah, they just don't seem to be at that same level as what those Durace Octolink ones are. Like, they are the best cranks I've ever owned personally. And keeping it on the Japanese topic. Yes. Let's talk about Nova Corona. Yes. So um It was I was so surprised when you put that into the show notes because I almost got sponsored by them. Oh truly they, they offered me a sponsorship for their Titanium bikes and I was at, it was at the same moment I was leaving Japan. So I had to refuse. Yeah. Oh that would have been but, sick what was special yeah. about that frame? It had something unique at the time. Like the headset was all titanium or something. It, um, there was about it that made it. It was like a full titanium bikes with gussets everywhere. 
and yeah. so like um looking wise like aesthetically it wasn't really my cup of tea but it was like yeah. really interesting bike yeah, and cool. the guy that is making nova corona is he is just so he's doing the japanese way meaning like oh it's interesting even if it's like two percent interesting let's just go all the way into it and oh, see yeah. how it goes no yeah they were um yeah so they're that track frame they make i think it's the Fieti, yeah, we'll say that works. Um, Which means, uh, I think it's proudness or pride in French. I mean, it has a very out there paint job, so they are very proud of what they've done. It does. One thing I dislike about it is they only make it in smalls and mediums for the Japanese market, unfortunately. So, oh, like there's a couple people out there who, like one guy in particular, Jean Spies, he's a South African track sprinter. He wanted one to race in the um they have that new Kirin League in Japan where they are allowed to use modern equipment. Yeah. Um Pista Six, I think it's called. So they're on an indoor okay. velodrome, modern equipment, similar rules to UCI, like you can't bash each other around and stuff, because like, let's face it, you're not on steel tubes, you're on full carbon setups. Mm-hmm. Um and the Nova Coronas are certified to be used in that um race. But because they only make it in a small and medium, there's not many people who like to ride them. Like they're not super popular yet. Yeah, but they look so good. Like I saw photos of it when it came out, and I was kind of in the market for a new track bike. But unfortunately, yeah, they um they didn't make it in my size, and I think they're not the cheapest either. But they look, in my opinion, they're one of the best looking track bikes you can get at the moment. So. Nova Corona, they have released a new um, a new track cycling handlebar. So it's a sprint bar. And it's super exciting seeing all these smaller manufacturers, like you said at the start, like Velobike and stuff, starting to make all these like boutique niche handlebar bits. And I think yeah. the Nova Corona is arguably probably the coolest one I've seen so far. So it's called the Ares after the Greek god of war, I think. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I just yeah, played yeah. a shitload of God of War Ragnarok. I should know this. Um, <laughs> and so to keep it in the theme of track bars at the moment, like modern track bars, they only come in two widths, which is two, 29 centimeters or 33 centimeters wide. So stupidly narrow. Like 29 is the smallest I've seen in full carbon setups and 33 is kind of a bit average, but 29, that's super narrow. But they have a bit more reach than your modern sprint bar. So what I call the modern sprint bar is those velo bike bars. If you still have the website up, they do a sprint bar and a company called Partis who makes um, track cycling components and frames. They also have a sprint bar, which I currently use um, and they don't have as much reach, but the drop on these bars is what makes them super unique is they only have, a 95 millimeter drop, 9.5 centimeters from the top of the bar to the bottom, which if you put your fingers out, you kind of get around to a nine centimeter drop. That's nothing. That's so shallow. That is super shallow. Um, And that is three centimeters shallower than what we consider shallow drop road bars. So it's like the kiddie pool of drop. It is so shallow. And these bars in particular, they're made of, you've probably heard of Torre carbon before. They're a Japanese manufacturer of carbon. They are 
uh, industry-wise, probably one of the most trusted brands. So they supply Pinarello. My Sprint bars are made of it. Velo Bike uses their um, <clears throat> carbon weave for a lot of things. And it's made of their T1000 carbon, which is considered an intermediate modulus fiber. So when you hear the words high modulus, it just means that it's stupidly stiff, but it's brittle. So if it does go over its fatigue resistance, it will break. Whereas an intermediate is still stupidly stiff, but there's a little bit more play. I mean, I don't think humans will flex it, but they're not going to blow up in your hands if you go over the fatigue resistance. So they're currently pl- priced at 66,000 yen. So that's 720 Australian, 460 euro and 500 US. So a little bit more expensive than what is on offer from the other major manufacturers. But they look, which I love this bit, they look identical to the Argon one-piece sprint bars. So one of my friends recently purchased a fresh Argon, like the new one, with this one-piece setup, and they look so cool. And they were probably the fattest bars before the what we saw earlier. Yeah, they were definitely. Because these are already, like, gigantic. Yes. But Pretty chunky. So the Nova Corona ones, they're like around five hundred. These are three thousand dollars. The um Argon ones, yes. So they are they're complete yeah. one piece. Um, that yeah, they're stupid expensive, and they're available in only three different sizes as well, and they're all thirty twos or thirty centimeters wide. So stupidly narrow once again, but that is the that is the way. That is the way. We all must Do narrow. you think at some point we're going to see like the bars getting wider again for some reason? That's like, I mean, that's the thing. Cause if you talk to like old school guys, like there's this one guy in um my town who owns a bike shop and I come in with my track bars and they're 30 centimeters wide. And he gives me a lecture on why that's bad for you. He's like, you can't breathe. What are you going to breathe? It's like guys TT for an hour and a half. They can push out mm. like 400 watts for an hour. They can breathe just fine. So I think I don't see why we would go wider again because it's increasing frontal area. But, I mean, if you told guys in the 70s and 80s that, hey, everyone's going to be riding 30-centimeter bars on the track in 30 years, they they might have been like, that's so unstable. Like, why do you need to do that? You can't, there's no torque. You can't get any power down because you can't use the bike to throw side to side. But I don't see us going wider again. But then again, that's probably been said sometime in the past and we've found a reason to go wide again. So I don't know. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But personally, I don't see why we would. Hmm. Only time will tell. Exactly. I mean, who knows? Hopefully UCI pisses off and they let us make boomerang style frames again for UCI <laughs> races. So that'd be great. Like that'd I be, always think that'd be what would have yeah. happened if they didn't introduce that bloody Laguno charter thing. Yeah. What bikes would we be riding now? Yeah. I mean, you can see in some cases like, you know, like stairs, but people still yeah. produce some of them. Was yes. like aluminum or even titanium, and they look wild. Yeah, like I, I'm just thinking about that meme. It's like the world in the future is like, what would have happened if we didn't have this? Like someone needs to make that and said what we would have <laughs> if the UCI didn't make the Laguna Charter. Like, I love how bikes look nowadays, but man, I think we're missing out on some really cool things. 
I agree. Well, people, that's going to be it for this episode of Dip Dish Discussions. Even if it's really early morning, I always love making these because, ah, the nerdy talk is getting to me. I love it. Uh, and uh, because there isn't that much innovation all the time into track cycling, it would be great if you guys could, you can send us an email, uh, contact at slospensidey.com and to know what you guys want to want to talk about. Uh, it could be some news, some contest. I, I still keep saying contest like uh, it's a skateboarding thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, we'll see you when we'll see you. Have a good one. Bye bye. See you later, guys. Have a good one.